0: Well, we're going to have some irony today as we launch into a brand new series. Um, I'm really glad that you're here for this. The, the start is such a good point to get going from. Um, we're going to start something in our, in our title will be what makes you happy and that title we, we could have written it with a question mark and you could say um, I, want, I wonder what it is that makes you happy but that's not the way we're going to do it uh, we're going to remove the question mark it's not going to be there and I'm going to do my best to offend absolutely everyone listening for the next couple of weeks as I continue to tell you what makes you happy. Uh, so you can disagree with, uh, with, this notion, with with my idea, whatever, but this is the notion, this is what we're going to do, this is the idea. We're going to look at some things and identify where and what happiness comes from. And we are doing this, um, even though it might seem offensive, we're doing this because it, it seems that some people, maybe some of you, really don't know what makes you happy, And the way to discover whether or not you know what it is to make, uh, how to make yourself happy is if you keep doing things, doing things again and again, and you're still not happy, then maybe you don't know how to be happy. Imagine that. You don't know how. And, and I'm not going to offer you anything that you don't get offered thousands of times a day. Every time you open up a magazine, every time you listen to the radio, every time you, you, you go on social media, you watch television, you log on to, to the internet, there are people there that you have never met in places that you have never visited that are creating commercials, ads, visuals, um, all promising to make you happy. And let's be honest. You don't have to raise your hands to be honest today. Every single one of us has fallen for these things once. Twice. Thrice. And let's be more honest. Hundreds of times we have uh, believed this. We have taken it in and said, if only I had, if only I drove, if only I wore, if only I smelled like, if only, if only, if only, maybe I would feel better about me. And we have spent a lot of time And a lot of money. Let's—we have wasted a lot of time, and we have wasted a lot of money, and we're still not happy. And maybe the answer is that we just don't really understand what it takes to make us happy. Can you really answer the question yourself? What makes you happy? Does something come to your mind? I, I think, honestly, that's a smaller percentage of the people. I think the greater percentage of the people have more forgotten what makes us happy. Why? Well, because in our culture, it's very, very difficult to market actual happiness. You can market quick fix happiness, but you can't really market and sell actual happiness. There are not many people around us who are talking about the things that actually make us happy. So that's what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks. Um, So without further preamble, let's just get straight into what we're going to work around. This is one of the key concepts that's going to come up again and again as we go. It's something that you all know. But it's something that I believe, periodically, we all need a reminding. Happiness is more about who than what. This is one of the earliest lessons that we ever learned. And you learned it in your backyard, you learned it at a park, and you were out there playing with a bunch of who's. And it didn't really matter what you had, we had happiness. And then you went on to elementary school, and as long as you had your group of who's, it didn't really matter what else you had and then you got bumped up to junior high and senior high and it didn't really matter what you had as long as you had a bunch of who's as long as you could be included in the right group of who's your group of who's and you could say it like this happiness is always associated with a who or two it's true for me and you don't be blue you've got some glue on your shoe. Yes, you do. Oh, that was just a joke. Uh, if happiness is just about what we could get, um, and, and we could all just go out and get our what, and then we could be happy all the time, and then it wouldn't matter what you did to me or what you said to me or how you treated me, because no matter what happens, I could always just go home and get my happy what, because this is what makes me happy. And then everybody could be happy. And you know this. You know this. These are just reminders for you. And here is the problem that we have learned and the problem that we try to teach others about, maybe like our kids. Happy what always leads to happy what else? Happy always leads to happy what's next. The happiness wears off over time. It has a limited linger effect. If you were excited about your old phone when you got it, you're just as excited when you get your new phone but your old new phone is old. your old phone, and now you need a new new phone. And this kind of feeling happens regularly. Just as elated as you were the first time you got your new car or, or, or your new job or in this culture sometimes maybe even your new spouse. We, we, we're always looking for something new, and that's important. If an aging what deflates your happiness, you weren't happy to begin with. You were just being marketed to. So here's a cultural phenomenon. We're going to call it Western Eyes Syndrome. You or someone you know, maybe you go on a trip or a missions trip, and you, and you go to see people who, who, what we might call, impoverished. And uh, they're, they're living in shacks, and they, they have torn clothes, they have limited food, they are but enjoying. And, and, they're, and they're laughing, and, and they're smiling together, and you're a special guest, and, and so they treat you with special dignity. And as they do that, they want to prepare food for you. And they give you large portions of food. And you know that they don't have extra food. And your brain enters into a confused state. You see it there in front of you. But the confusion travels home with you. And this is the question that seems to rise again and again. How can they be so happy they don't have anything? And we are there and we're in discomfort. And we're, we're longing to come back home into our lives filled with what? But we remember when I looked into the eyes of those men and the women, when I looked into the eyes of those, those children, I, there was more there than I see around me. And they have happiness and they have more peace and they have more contentment, but they don't have anything. We know it. And yet at the same time, our brains just can't process it. What is clear? It's right before our eyes. We know it. And yet we fight it at the same time because happiness is more about a what, that's a who. So tell me if you think this is true. I think it usually is. Parents, this is about you. Parents, it's very difficult for a parent's happiness to eclipse that of their most unhappy child. It's not necessarily a good thing, but that's just kind of the way it seems to work. Marriage, same deal. Husbands are never happier than their most unhappy wife. Yeah, yeah. that might be the strongest argument against polygamy that there is. How happy do I get to be today? What, why is that? Why is that kind of thing there? Because our happiness is always tied to a who, not a what. This is so powerful, and this one drives it down deep, okay? So if you as a couple uh, have, have ever struggled or currently are struggling with infertility, you understand this right now. You, you, you understand that no matter um, what you own or, or where you live or, or, or what you drive or what you wear or where you get to vacation, it doesn't matter, if you are in the process of trying to bring another who into your family, it is hard, hard, hard to maintain any level of happiness while you're struggling with infertility. You know, I Think about this. Before Cheryl and I had any kids, this is kind of just a strange thing to think about, but before we had any kids, Cheryl and I didn't love children, any children. Not that we didn't love anyone else's, but we didn't have children. We didn't have any We actually wanted some children to love. What is that? It's evidence of the fact that you have been designed if you think that there's a designer. You have been created if you believe that there's a creator. Um, You have been evolved if you think that there's just an evolver. You have been created and designed in such a way that ultimate fulfillment is tied to whose and not to what's. Here's the last piece of evidence, then we'll move on. In the end, at the end, you will have relational, not possessional regrets. At the end, nobody wants to make things right with a what. You are not going to say, honey, honey, can you just bring my shoes to the hospital? I I just need some time with my shoes or, 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 or my stamp collection or my scrapbook supplies or your favorite tennis racket. Nurse, can you just wheel me down to the parking lot? I just need some face time with my car. You're you're not going to make peace with any what's. You are going to want to make peace with some who's because we are relational in nature. Now, when you hear that, there are a group of people, let's be honest, mostly men, a group of people who says, you know what? I don't need anyone. I don't need anyone in my life. I don't need anyone else to be happy. If that's your pushback, if that's where you're feeling that today, remember, first of all, this is just week one. We're just introducing this topic today. There are two kinds of people who say that they don't need people, okay? Group number one, you've got so many people in your life, and you have never, ever experienced life without people. People who are your friends, people who are family, people who just surround you and love you. You've been so inundated by love and acceptance that you don't know what it's like to be isolated. It's easy for you. It's like someone on a cruise ship being there and saying, you know what? I never need any food. Well, of course you never need any food because you're surrounded by it. It's there at all times. You never needed it because you've always had food. You've always had the relationships. The second group that would fit into that category is the group that can't fix their isolation. They can't fix it themselves, and so they're fine. They're relationally isolated, and they don't know how to fix it. So so they tell themselves, this is what I'd actually prefer. I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Why wouldn't I be fine? This is better. You know what? I don't need anybody because I'm a rock. I'm an island. This view is so incredibly dangerous If you are part of that second group, then you really need to be here for this series. We are not designed to do life in isolation. It is not healthy. When we can't get what we want, we tell ourselves we don't really want it. And this is just a defense mechanism that comes up. And at some season in your life or your lives, you have lied to yourselves. And you've bought into this lie. And in some cases, it doesn't really matter. When the things that you don't really want are just things... You are telling yourself the truth. But in relationships, this is dangerous, unhealthy as a way of thinking. You were designed to be in relationships with others. So quick review. What makes you happy? Now, for the rest of this series, we're going to ask this question a bunch. It's going to come up again and again. And I would love it if for all the weeks... That you come, that you were prepared if uh, to answer this question in this way. If you're following along with this kind of idea, then answer this question in this way. What makes you happy? No thing. Nothing. No thing makes you happy. No thing. There is not a thing that makes me happy. So, what makes you happy? No thing. Okay, we've got to work on that. No thing makes you happy. We're going to talk about the role of things and happiness and how they work, but we're going to get to that uh, later. One step at a time, right? First, we're going to try and build a good foundation to work from. But for today, just remember, no thing can make you happy. Now, there there is one thing that's not really a thing that every happy person has. This is something that you can't hold in your hands. It's it's intangible. It's uh, a little squishy. Um, there, there's one thing that every happy person has. So think for a moment about a person, someone that you know who you think is happy. Here's what they have. And maybe you've never thought of it this way. Here's what they have. Peace. Peace on the, on, on the inside. They're fine. They have peace. Happy people have peace. Happy people are at peace with themselves. What is that? It doesn't matter whether they are rich or poor or extrovert or introvert, whether they're married or single or whether they have kids or no kids. But when you're around these people, you can just sense that they are comfortable in their own skin. And you might look at them and you might tell them that you're more worried about their circumstances than they are. Happy people are at peace with themselves. They are not warring with themselves. They're not trying to be something that they're not. The next thing that you will notice is that happy people are at peace with others. They're not angry at somebody. Even if they have been mistreated, they are not bitter. So imagine one night after dinner, you're sitting together and, and, and they begin telling you their story and you listen. And, and you listen. And you listen, and your jaw just keeps dropping. I can't believe what happened to you. I can't believe that you're not angry. I can't believe that you're not bitter. And they say, well, I guess I was. But now I have moved on. Happy people aren't churning on the inside, trying to live out some Hollywood-style story, needing to get back at those people. They need to pay. I got to get revenge. I got to get payback. I got to somehow make it even. Trying to reclaim something from somebody else, trying to force someone to do something for them. Happy people who have great lives, happy people who have miserable lives, miserable by any standard, you can find both kinds of people who are miserable, and you can find both of who are genuinely, honestly, authentically at peace with themselves and with others. And after hearing their story, you might be tempted to pick up their offense, the offense that they have against their mama, their neighbor, their boss, their, their, their former partner, their work colleague, and you, you might be tempted to pick up those offenses and say, let's go and get this straightened out. And they say, no, no, it, it's okay. And you are thinking, no, it is not okay. That's not right. No, no, it's, it's okay. For me, that's a closed chapter. And, and you think to yourself, what is that? It's unfamiliar. It's peace. And the next thing you'll, you'll discover with happy people, many happy people, but certainly not all happy people, okay? We can honestly admit that. But oftentimes when you meet a person who is genuinely happy, they are at peace with God. And, and maybe it's not the same view of God that you have, but, but they are convinced that there is more to this life than this life. They believe in a divine sense of purpose. There's a larger scale of justice that things are going to work out beyond what we can see. And God will transform and remake the stuff that we do see. And that allows them to walk through stuff that otherwise would steal somebody's peace or happiness. Now, if all this is true, then anything that undermines your peace ultimately undermines your happiness. Anything. Anything. Any decision that you would make that would undermine your peace ultimately undermines your happiness. And every single one of us, if you give us a moment or two to think about it, can recall a situation in life, a season in life, a circumstance in life, a relationship where we made a decision that undermined our relationship with God, our relationship with others, or a relationship with someone. And we look at those things, or ourselves, and we look at those things and now we call that regret. And if we could go back to that weekend, if we could go back to that season of life, if we could go back to that March break or that reading week, and we would redo it all because we are carrying around a regret that is beginning to chip away at our current happiness. Anything that undermines your peace, in other words, when you're about to make a decision and there's a decision in you, there's, there's something going on inside you, there's a little bit of turmoil, maybe just a little bit of twisting inside and you say, I just don't know. You're on the verge of potentially undermining your own happiness because happy people are at peace with themselves, others, and oftentimes God. So why are we talking about this at church? Let me tell you, this is what we're going to talk about for the next couple of, uh, next couple of weeks, This this is something that Christians have discovered. If you are not a Christian, that is okay. You don't need to be a Christian to learn what we have learned. The word Christian only shows up in the Bible two or three times anyways, right? What we are more accurately is Jesus followers. We are the followers of Jesus. We follow the teachings of Jesus. And, And Jesus never came and said, hey, hey, become a Christian. Jesus said all the time, follow me follow me. Follow me. You don't have to have the whole package to start following, right? One of the ways that we do that is to uh, follow Jesus through baptism. If you're interested in becoming uh, serious about following Jesus, then baptism is an important step on that journey. But one thing that the Jesus followers have discovered is this, peace with God paves the way to peace with ourselves and equips us to make peace with others. Peace with God. We're going to spend a whole week talking about that. Peace with others, peace with ourselves. Because when you begin to view yourself in a relationship, in a right relationship with your creator, the creator and the created, somehow when you get in the right relationship, you get into sync and something changes inside of us and we have peace with God and that paves the way to peace with ourselves and um, peace with others. Most of the New Testament is, is written and it shows us how to be at peace with other people. And Jesus was asked one of these profound questions, um, one of the ones he's ever asked. And, you know, let's be honest, he was asked a lot of questions, and a bunch of them were fairly silly. Um, People were always trying to trick him or or get him in trouble, and that's what was happening frequently. So Jesus was asked a question by a lawyer, essentially, you know, what I just said. Um, You might even smile when I show you these verses again, all right? These are central to our Christian faith. The lawyer, the lawyer knows that the law list that they're looking at has more than 600 laws in it. And, and uh, Jesus um, is asked, what do you think God's favorite law is? And the lawyer had an answer to this. And the, the people all listening, they had an answer to this. But they all wanted to know, what does Jesus say? What's his answer to this? And so, Jesus, what's your take? What's the most important law? And so, Matthew 22 he says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And I know that we have spoken about this recently, and I I know um, that when you think about this, or when I think about this, or really anybody I know thinks about this, we think about it, uh, we, we don't make the connection in our heads between laws and happiness, right? Those are different things. We are predisposed to think of laws and commandments as getting in the way of our happiness, so try and do a little work here. Listen to the, the question. Um, listen to Jesus' answer through the lens of what we've just been talking about. Um, when you think of, of great laws or important commandments, they tend to start with the lines like, Thou shalt not murder. And they echo in the background. And there's always a, thou must, thou shalt, and don't ever forget to. And <coughs> so again, we're thinking about this through the grid of uh, happiness. Listen to Jesus' answer. He starts with love. You know, frankly, that's a little soft. I was looking for a little bit more, Mmm. Um, a good command has a thou shalt, a little bit of base in the bottom. Uh, thou shalt is a good power phrasing for, for something commanding, but he says love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind, all your soul. Uh, and that description seems to be way more relational than it does sound commanding. Oh, so since God loves you, I want you to love God back. The most important thing you can do is to love God. So since God desires to make peace with you, you should make peace with God. The most important commandment is about peace with God. But we all know that Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to bring in the other two components of the happiness equation that we just looked at. Verse 38, he says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You can't do one without the other. This is a package deal. Love your neighbor, love others as yourself. So if you're not a Jesus follower, if you're new or you've been out of church for a while, maybe maybe you don't normally read the Bible. Here's what Jesus is saying: What's most important to me is peace with God. Peace with others, peace with yourself. Love God. Make peace with God. Love your neighbor. Make peace with your neighbor. Love yourself. Make peace with yourself. Do you know what that sounds like, Jesus? That sounds like you want us to be happy. That's right. That's what I want for you. Because your heavenly Father has created you with the capacity for happiness. This is core to who we are. Jesus said it's not a secondary thing. It's a central, key part. When I was younger, I thought what many of you probably think, and this, I think it's just maybe part of our growth process. When I was younger, I thought that God is in the way of my happiness. And because Jesus spoke for God, I kind of thought that Jesus was in the way of happiness. So some of you, that's why you left church. Some of you, that's why you took a faith time out. That's why you feel the notion that church is interfering with your life. That's why um, kids have decided not to attend church. That's why faith has increasingly become a private thing that I can just do at home by myself. I feel Jesus more when I'm on a walk in the woods alone, and so I'll do that instead. And maybe that's why you didn't want to come today, but somebody else made you come, and you kind of got pulled here. It's because when you were growing up, the way that God was presented, the way that the church was presented, there was this conflict that you felt. Be a good religious person or be happy. Be a good Christian or be happy. Be, be a good whatever religion you are part of or, or, or be happy. There was a conflict. And here's what I know about you, and, and here's what I know about me We will not stay in an unhappy circumstance for a very long time unless we have a very, very, very good reason. Because you, because we are to some extent on a happiness quest. We're going to look at that next, next week. So don't miss next week. Come back. That happiness quest thing, is that a bad thing? I don't think so. But you need to hear why. So you got to come back next week for that. The truth is your heavenly Father who was revealed Through Jesus, he showed what is actually important to him that actually ties into what is most important to you. Even though you may not have thought about it in those terms, God is actually not in the way of your happiness. God provides the way to happiness, which means to resist God, think about this for a second, to resist God is to resist happiness. And if you were to stand up here today, which I know all of you really want to do, and you were to stand up today and you were going to tell us all the story of your deepest regret, the thing that you wish you could go back and undo, I bet that 99%, maybe maybe 100% of those stories, when you got finished explaining your regret, part of that story that created your greatest regret was how you broke your peace, how you abandoned your peace with others, yourself, or with God. And in messing with your peace, it made you unhappy. Jesus invites you to make peace with God, to make peace with yourself, and to make peace with others. Because at the end of the day, happiness is more about a who than a what. We're going to switch gears again. One more idea. Then as we keep going, we'll pull all these back together over the next couple of weeks again, and we're going to deal with this next word. Honestly, this next word, always a little bit awkward. Sometimes it's a bit of a downer. People don't like it. The word is sin. And just for the next couple of minutes, um, we're going to we're going to work on a definition, okay? So, if you're a Christian like me, uh, I want to define sin the way the New Testament defines sin. And if you're a Jewish, then you should define sin the way a Jewish person would. And if you're from a different religion, just define sin as the way that you are comfortable with it. It doesn't really matter how you define sin for this exercise, as long as it makes sense to you. So, um, if if you're not religious at all, uh, and and if you think that sin is is the most ridiculous word in the world, and that's actually the cause for all the pain and suffering and the heartbreak in the world, because religion is at the root of it all, I get that. Um, You've got a lot of evidence. Um, If if that's your case, if, if if that's your camp, I just want you to define sin for the next couple of minutes as whatever you think people shouldn't do. So whatever you think you shouldn't do, that sometimes you do anyway, that's sin. And we can all together just define sin in the broadest possible terms. What is it that people never should do, and yet we still do it sometimes anyway? To help me bring some shape to that, if that's too vague. Imagine, or if you have a sister, think of your sister, you imagine your sister or your niece. Um, what is it that you would hope a guy would never do to your sister? Or to your niece. And you go, oh, man, we call that sin. Have I ever done that? The the, the point is that we, we all fall short of the standard, even if it's our own standard. So let's just make up a super broad definition of sin. Sin is falling short of whatever standards you hold to. Now, here's what's true of all sin. No matter how broadly you define it, sin separates. Sin breaks apart. Sin moves us to isolation. Sin moves us away from each other. Sin moves us out of relationship. It separates you from others. When you think about your last relationship conflict, remember it? You know what? Somebody sinned. And typically, both people feel like the other person sinned. It's, it's your fault. Oh, no, 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 no. It's your fault. And well, it can't be both of our faults, so it has to be your fault. Well, it's more your fault than my fault. And well, it can be both of your faults. It just can't be none of your faults. Think about it. Think about that, that previous marriage, that, that boss, that, uh, that employee, the one who cheated, the one who lied, the one who has been malicious. And I hope I never see them again. And I'm nervous about gro- going grocery shopping because I'm afraid that when I'm grocery shopping, I'm going to meet them. When you think about that last relational conflict, somebody did something you don't think that they should have done. That somebody might even be you. Maybe they did this much, and then you came back and you showed them you did this much, and then they said, oh, okay, I'm going to do this much. And it, You don't even remember how it started. But that relationship, that relationship's over. It's over because of sin. Sin always separates. When you bring sin into a relationship, you begin to erode that relationship. However you define sin when you bring sin into a relationship, you begin to erode the peace. You attack, you disassemble, you corrode that peace between you and that other person. When sin comes into a relationship, however you define sin, that sin begins to eat away at your happiness. Sin also separates you from God. And this is, honestly, this is probably one of the most misunderstood things in the New Testament, in the whole Bible, and all of Christianity. So let me try and clear up some confusion here. The primary reason, not the only reason, okay? But the primary reason that sin separates you from God is this. When you sin against another person, you sin against a person that God loves. You cannot be okay with God and not be okay with someone God loves. You can't possibly mistreat my children and then look at me and say, but we're cool, right? It's just your son. Whatever, right? No, (laughs) we're not good. When you mistreat my son, you mistreat me. You can't be okay with me if you mistreat the people I love. And one of the core teachings of the New Testament, you've heard this before. It goes like, for God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son for who? The whole world. And this is what we miss. When you mistreat another person, you are out of sync with God. You're not just out of sync with another person. And the reason that there's all those things listed and spelled out for us in the New Testament isn't because God just wanted to make you through, um, jump you through awkward, uncomfortable hoops. God loves the person that you are in conflict with. So when sin creeps into a relationship with you and someone else, that sin has crept into your relationship with God. And when you offend someone else, you have offended the God who loves them and vice versa. Sin separates us from other people. Sin separates us from God. And then here's the biggest one of all, I think. We're going to spend a whole week on this one as well, looking at this one. Sin separates you from yourself. Anyone listening here to this live this morning or on the podcast later, you could fill in this blank. If I ever blank, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. You think about that phrase. I can't live with myself. I I can't look at myself in the mirror. I don't want to think about what I've done. I can't be alone because my mind just goes back to that silly, stupid, destructive decision that I made. And here's what we all know. You can have a bad relationship with yourself. It's something that we've all learned the hard way. When sin, however you define it, when sin creeps into our lives, it corrodes, it erodes our relationship with others, with God, and it erodes our relationship with ourselves. One of the reasons that people leave church, one of the reasons people are uncomfortable in church, One of the reasons that sometimes people get squeamish about being around Christian people is because they are carrying a secret. It is something that you did. There's, there's something that you have done in your past and you're, and you're carrying it. And, and you, you are in conflict with yourself. You don't know what to do with it. And if you don't have peace with yourself, you'll never have peace with God. And you'll never be happy. You won't be happy about what you drive or what you wear, or where you live, and we all already, already knew that. The other thing about sin, sin separates by substituting. We're going to spend a whole week on this one too. I'm just spoiling all the surprises for you, but this one's huge, okay? It might just change your life as you are now able to see things in a new way, a whole new light Since sin separates us from others and from God and ourselves by substituting, sin substitutes things like pleasure for fulfillment, things for people, images for intimacy. Sin substitutes experience for exclusivity. Oftentimes, sin substitutes the immediate for the ultimate. So in that way, sin makes a promise that sin can't keep. Sin makes a happy promise sin can't keep because sin... Is not your friend. Because at the end of the day, sin undermines your happiness. It kills. It kills relationships. And James, the brother of Jesus, he wrote this. In a, then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown. Okay, so sin is born, it's a baby. Look at that little cute little wee baby sin. Isn't it cute? Isn't that fun? Little baby sin isn't gonna hurt anyone. What's the big deal? when it's full-grown, gives birth to death. Every one of us has experienced this. We allow a little baby sin into a relationship. And then after some time, it became a full-grown sin. Now you don't know where she is. And he won't call. He's not coming back home. And you don't ever want to see her again. She never wants to see you again. And you lost that job. And it all started with the cute... Little baby sin. And James says, I'm warning you. When sin becomes part of a relationship, it ultimately destroys the relationship. And when you are not at peace with others, and you are not at peace with God, and when you are not at peace with yourself, because there is that little baby sin that is growing up, and it became a full-grown sin. And you know how you know? Because you're not happy. No matter what you have, because what makes you happy? No thing. Your happiness is tied to a who. There is always a who. Happy people are at peace with themselves, with others and with God. So this is a really big deal and I'll tell you why I get so energized about it. And this is why we're going to spend a number of weeks on this because it breaks my heart. It breaks your heart. It breaks my heart to watch people unintentionally undermine their own happiness and then spend a season of their lives trying to be happy in ways that never make them happy. And we're going to discover that next week that Jesus talks all about this, okay? You were born with the capacity for happiness and it's under your control far more than you think, far more than you have imagined. Okay, so to summarize, since happy is about who not what, Since happy people are at peace with themselves, others, and possibly God. Since sin undermines peace by separating and substituting. And since Jesus valued and prioritized peace with God, ourselves, and others. The greatest command. Since you want to be happy, then you should consider becoming a follower of Jesus. And even if you don't want to be a follower of Jesus, you should consider being back here next week for part two of what makes you happy. And you know what? You'll be happy you did. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are absolutely interested in our happiness. That you are interested in us moving from survive to thrive You are the God of all relationships. You show us what relationship looks like because you are the God of relationship. And it's not just the God of rules. The the rules are only ever there to help us be in good relationship, and that's what you're about. And we love being in good relationship, but God, we butcher it. So many times we butcher it. We make choices and we, we, we know what we're doing. And then we're left with consequences and we don't know what to do with them. God, I pray that you would guide us forward into right relationship with you. With others and with ourselves. Help us to delight in the freedom that forgiveness can bring. Make us agents of reconciliation, that we would be about bringing people together, that we would help people to find peace with God, peace with others, peace with ourselves. And in that, we would discover that that is happiness. Continue to speak to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May our Lord Jesus Christ, Himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word be blessed in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit you may be seated ah uh, well it's better when you're here <laughs> it's better when we're together And the more we connect, I think the better it can get. As you go, I want to remind you, you don't just walk away. You go and uh, as you go, you are Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and be mission-focused. The mission is for everyone, everywhere, all the time.